Hi everyone, welcome back to Daily Gospel Exegesis. I hope you're enjoying this approach to scripture where we do a verse-by-verse exegesis of the literal sense of the text. The Catholic teaching is that if we want to understand the Bible, we have to start with the literal sense. So it's the goal of this podcast to help you understand what the literal sense of the text might be for the gospel reading from today's Mass. What did it mean in its original context? How can we understand the words and the phrases that are used? So today we get to a really difficult reading in many ways. So John chapter 5, verses 17 to 30. Let's read out the text. Jesus said to the Jews, My father goes on working, and so do I. But that only made them even more intent on killing him, because not content with breaking the Sabbath, he spoke of God as his own father and so made himself God's equal. To this accusation, Jesus replied, I tell you most solemnly, the Son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does too. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him everything he does himself, and he will show him even greater things than these, works that will astonish you. Thus, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to anyone he chooses. For the Father judges no one, he has entrusted all judgment to the Son, so that all may honour the Son as they honour the Father. Whoever refuses to honour the Son refuses honour to the Father who sent him. I tell you most solemnly, whoever listens to my words and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. Without being brought to judgment, he has passed from death to life. I tell you most solemnly, the hour will come, in fact it is here already, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and all who hear it will live. For the Father, who is the source of life, has made the Son the source of life, and, because he is the Son of Man, has appointed him supreme judge. Do not be surprised at this. For the hour is coming when the dead will leave their graves at the sound of his voice. Those who did good will rise again to life, and those who did evil to condemnation. I can do nothing by myself. I can only judge as I am told to judge, and my judging is just. Because my aim is not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So that's our reading for today. It's a long reading. It's an incredibly complex reading. This is a very rich text. There's so much going on here. There's so much that could be said about each uh, verse of this and each phrase even. There's so much deep theology here about the Trinity, about salvation. The whole Gospel of John is filled with this sort of language, but this text in particular I think is very hard to interpret because there's so many different meanings that you could Uh, take these different phrases to have and they could have meant different things in their original context than what we're trying to get at and it could be that Jesus meant multiple things with with each of these phrases so we're going to have an attempt at doing the literal uh, an exegesis of the literal sense Uh, but a lot of what we have here is quite mysterious in many ways and the catechism does link to this passage a lot it sees this text as very important in understanding Jesus identity in particular But we are dealing here with one of the hardest sections of the Gospel of John. So what's the context? Just before this, Jesus has healed the paralyzed man who was waiting at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. 
And when he did that, he was criticized by the Jewish leaders for doing a healing on the Sabbath. And some of you may have heard that reading yesterday. So that leads into verse 17. He's just healed the paralyzed man and he's been criticized by the Jewish leaders for healing on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the Jews, so this is the Jewish leaders he's speaking to. Now, before we go any further, we need to think about what the Jewish belief was at the time about the Sabbath. One of the things they believed about the Sabbath, interestingly, was that God doesn't do any work on the Sabbath either. Only man does work and God does work, except there are two types of work that God did do on the Sabbath in their belief. God gives new life on the Sabbath and he also passes judgment on the dead. Those are the two things that God does do on the Sabbath. And they work that out because they realize that people are still born on the Sabbath and people still die on the Sabbath. So they figured, well, God must at least give life and pass judgment on the dead. So keep that in mind. Here's what Jesus says to the Jews. My father goes on working and so do I. So remember, they've just accused him of doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus here says, well, the father goes on working and so do I. So Jesus here says that even on the Sabbath, God continues to do things. He continues to bring his kingdom. Even if it's a day of rest for the people, it's not really a day of rest for God. So Jesus here says, my father works and so do I. So Jesus is imitating the father. In fact, what he's doing, if you think about it, the son, Jesus, is claiming to have a power that only God the father has. He's claiming to have the power to give life on the Sabbath. And the Jewish belief was the only person who can do that is God. So Jesus here is making a subtle claim to be God, as he does all throughout the Gospel of John. Now, because Jesus here explicitly says, my father, notice the language here, my father goes on working. So some scholars think Jesus here might be sort of depicting himself as an apprentice of Yahweh. He's my father. That would be drawing on the familiar customs of the time where sons learned the trade by observing and imitating the trade skills of their father. So that's an interesting hypothesis here. Maybe Jesus is portraying his own sonship in that way, as an apprentice of the father. But he's certainly doing more than that too. Verse 18, John says, But that only made them even more intent on killing him, because not content with breaking the Sabbath... So remember, the Jewish leaders already want to kill Jesus for what he's doing on the Sabbath. That was bad enough in their mind. But Jesus is going above and beyond that. Jesus, according to John here, says he spoke of God as his own father. So we often refer to God as our father as Christians, but in the time of Jesus, that was not language that was commonly used of God. There were some passages in the Old Testament which talk about God as a father, but it's more in a collective sense. God is the father of Israel. Well, here, Jesus says he's my father. He's the individual father. That is new to the Jews. They're not used to that kind of language, particularly this idea of God being an intimate father. So here, John says, he spoke of God as his father and so made himself God's equal. Or you can translate that, made himself equal with God. So how do we get to that? How do we get from God speak, Jesus speaking of God as his father? How do we get from that to Jesus is claiming to be equal with God? Well, in that culture, a son was considered to be the best representative of the father. He was considered to be like the perfect envoy of the father. Basically, he was considered to have the same properties as the father. So if a father sent their son with a message, it was as though the father himself was going. So there's an interesting background there about how the Jews at the time viewed a son in relation to a father. So 
for Jesus to claim to have God as his father, basically Jesus is claiming to be equal with God. That is blasphemy, according to the Jews at the time. That was a capital crime, actually. If you look at Leviticus 24, you could be killed for that kind of blasphemy. Now, one thing we need to say here as Christians in terms of the the Trinity theology here, Jesus is less than the Father in his humanity in that sense. And there are some passages in the Gospel of John where Jesus considers himself less than the Father in the sense that he's human. But there's also other passages like this one where he says that he's equal to the Father. So Jesus is less than the Father in his humanity, but he's equal to the Father in his divinity. Later in the Gospel of John, it's actually made clear that not only do they do the Jews understand that Jesus is claiming to be equal with God, he's actually claiming to be God himself. That's made clear later on. That's very theologically significant. Often you'll hear this claim today that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, the Gospel of John says he did. Even Jesus' enemies understood that Jesus claimed to be God. These were not people who, you know, were religious fanatics, religious Christian fanatics. These were his own enemies, and even they understood that he claimed to be God. In John chapter 10, verse 33, they explicitly say, we are stoning you because you claim to be God. That's in John chapter 10. Let's go on. So to this accusation, Jesus replied. Now that phrase is not actually in the original. Our lectionary has added that phrase in. In the original, if you look at John chapter 10, Jesus just keeps speaking. He continues with his speech, but the lectionary has added this in to make it a bit clearer. Now, Jesus at this point is going to refer to himself in relationship to God the Father, and he's going to use the same elevated language which appears all throughout the Gospel of John. So he refers to himself as the Son. Verse 19, I tell you most solemnly, that means he's going to say something very important. The Son cannot do anything by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. See, here we have important theology. Jesus the Son only does what he sees the Father doing. In the divine perception here, he's receiving information from the Father and he does that. Jesus doesn't make stuff up as he goes along. He only does what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does too. So literally, the Son, while he's on earth, is mirroring the activity of the Father. Now, it's possible at this point Jesus is clarifying something. He's clarifying that although he's equal with God, he's not a competitor with God. Maybe that's what his Jewish audience might have thought when Jesus says, uh, I continue to work as the Father continues to work. Well, maybe they would have thought, hang on, he's claiming to be another God in in competition with God. So maybe here Jesus is uh, clarifying, I do what the Father does in the sense that I'm the obedient son. I'm not in competition with the Father. I do what the Father's doing. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son. That is a profound line. The Father loves the Son. This is a deep Trinitarian love which is being talked about here and shows him everything he does himself. So the Father chooses to reveal his activities and purposes to the Son because the Father loves the Son. So Jesus passes on everything he sees and hears the Father doing to his followers. There's this incredibly deep love between the Father and the Son such that the Son can only do what the Father in his love reveals to him. And of course, Jesus reveals to his followers whatever the Father reveals to him. And he will show him even greater things than these. Or you can translate that, even greater works than these. So Jesus here is comparing 
the works that the Jewish leaders have already seen, like the miracles, the healing miracles the Jewish leaders have witnessed. He says, the Father will show the Son even greater things than these. So, Jesus here says that soon the Father will start showing the Son even greater miracles that he wants the Son to do. The Father will show the Son the miracle, and then the Son will do it. There's even greater miracles coming, is what Jesus says. He says, these are works that will astonish you, or you can translate that, works that will be done to make you marvel. So Jesus' healings, particularly the healing of the paralytic, reveal that Jesus is the Father's Son, and he has divine power over life and judgment. And we'll see this developed as we go on. Verse 21, thus, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to anyone he chooses. So Jesus here teaches that the Father has the power to give people life. That will be both natural life and supernatural life. It's clear that the Father has power to give natural life, and Jesus is saying, well, from that, of course, the Father has power to give supernatural life, to give salvation to people. Well, since the Son receives all things from the Father, the Son has the same power. The the Son has the power to give life too. Notice, though, that the Son doesn't give it to everyone, only those he chooses. The word chooses is used there. This is the key theme in the Gospel of John. The Father and the Son give eternal life to those whom they choose, which is basically those who listen to the Son and believe that he's been sent from the Father. Verse 22, For the Father judges no one, He has entrusted all judgment to the Son. This is interesting, isn't it? We often consider the Father in the Trinity. The Father would be the judge and the Son would be the merciful one or something like that. Well, here, what does Jesus say? The Father judges no one. He has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So, in the New Covenant, the Father has entrusted the role of judgment about eternal life to the Son. But it's in such a way that a response to the Son is in fact a response to the Father because the Father and the Son have the same will and they carry out the same actions. So really when the Son judges, it's the same judgment that the Father does. This is going to be explained more in the next phrase. Verse 23, so that all may honour the Son as they honour the Father. So the Jews in Jesus' time honoured the Father. They honoured God, at least in the basic general belief. They did honour the Father. The Father wants people now to honour the Son as well, so he's granted access, he's given the Son access to all of his own abilities. The idea here is that the Father allows the Son to do certain supernatural things, he's allowing the Son to have a share in his own divine life, so that when people see the Son, Jesus, doing these amazing things, they will realise he's from the Father, and they'll be pointed back to the Father and honour the Father in turn. It's amazing, isn't it? Think about this beautiful divine exchange. The Father gives these supernatural gifts to the Son and shares his own divine life with the Son so that people will look at the Son on earth and be pointed back to the Father. There's this constant divine exchange of love and life going on. Then Jesus says in verse 23, Whoever refuses to honour the Son refuses honour to the Father who sent him. So remember what we said earlier about in that culture, the son was considered to be the perfect representative of the father. So what Jesus says here is linked to what he said earlier about the father has entrusted all judgment to the son. So in salvation history at this point, the father has set it up so that the son is his appointed representative. Any decisions Jesus the son makes are in fact, by extension, decisions that the father makes. So a response that people have to the son is 
or counts as a response to the Father. So if people reject Jesus the Son during his ministry, if they turn away from Jesus, that means they're also rejecting the Father. That's how God has set it up at this point, which is really profound. In the New Covenant, you can't accept the Father without accepting the Son because they're so united. So one of Jesus' purposes when he came to earth is to reveal people's true attitude to the Father. People's response to the Son reveals their true attitude to the Father. Verse 24, I tell you most solemnly, whoever listens to my words, so this is a group of people who listen to and trust in what Jesus says about himself, and they follow his commandments during his ministry. So this group of people, but then Jesus adds another condition. Whoever listens to my words and believes in the one who sent me. So this is people who believe Jesus and they believe in and trust the father. They have eternal life, says Jesus. This group of people have eternal life. Now in the gospel of John, eternal life is not primarily thinking of uh, heaven when you die. It's a present tense reality. Eternal life basically means to participate in God's own divine life. So anyone who believes that Jesus is sent from God, who follows his commandments and believes and trusts the Father, these people have eternal life. They, in the present, have salvation. They participate in God's own eternal life. Jesus continues, he says, they will not be brought to judgment, or you can translate that, he does not come into judgment. So those who have eternal life will not be judged in the present or in the future on judgment day either. He has passed from death to life. That's quite a beautiful way of describing salvation. Inheriting eternal life is passing from death to life. So you can think about this as this person who has eternal life has passed from the state of condemnation of Adam into the divine family of God. So, And by extension, if a person has eternal life now, they'll have it in the afterlife too. So on the other hand, those who have not passed from death to life that's those who are not saved, they will be brought to judgment on the last day. So the Catholic teaching and the teaching of the Bible is the verdict that's handed down at the last day is an extension of the way you've lived in the present. If you had eternal life in the present, you'll have eternal life on judgment day. If you didn't have eternal life in the present during your life, you won't have eternal life on judgment day either. Verse 25, Jesus says, I tell you most solemnly, the hour will come, in fact it is here already, You can translate that, and now is. So here Jesus says something has come now, but it's also going to come more fully in the future. This is the same language he used with the woman at the well. The hour has come. In fact, it is here already. So here Jesus is referring to some aspect of the new covenant, which is beginning in his own ministry. The hour has come. In fact, it is here already when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and all who hear it will live. This is a new teaching here. The hour will come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and all who hear it will live. This can be interpreted different ways. The dead could refer to the spiritually dead and those who listen to him, follow his commandments, they will get supernatural life. Maybe that's what it means. But it could also refer to literally at the end of time, at the general resurrection, one day the Son of God will say things and those who are literally dead will hear his voice and be raised to life. Based on what Jesus says next, that seems to be the right interpretation. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. This idea that the dead will hear the voice of God and be resurrected, this is graphically shown in chapter 11. 
when Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. Because if you remember the story, quite literally, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, says words, and then that causes Lazarus to be raised again from the dead. So that's probably not an accident. Verse 26, For the Father who is the source of life, this can also be translated as life in himself. So from this we learn, this is quite deep Trinitarian theology, the Father is the one who has power over life and death, and he can grant supernatural life to others. The Father who is the source of life, has made the Son the source of life. This is deep. The Father is the source of life, but he's made the Son the source of life. The Father is the first link in a chain of supernatural life. He alone is the true source of all supernatural life. He hasn't received it from anyone else, but he's passed on the property of being the source of eternal life to the Son. So the Son derives the power to give eternal life from the Father. And Jesus dispenses eternal life to the world, particularly through the sacraments. This is incredibly deep stuff, and it's well worth meditating on, this whole John chapter 5. Verse 27, And because he is the Son of Man, now Son of Man is a term referring to the Messiah, so Jesus here says, Because Jesus is the Messiah, the Father has appointed him supreme judge. Another translation of this is, The Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment. So the Father has given all judgment to the Son. And in fact, this is echoed uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. At the Ascension, Jesus says the exact same thing. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the Father has given all authority and judgment to the Son. So the Son is the principal agent of judgment in the present and on the last day. He's going to be the main one who judges people in the new covenant. He will judge the living and the dead, as we say in the Creed. Now, Jesus is going to qualify this shortly. He's going to clarify that the Father is actually still the one who gives the instructions to the Son. So the Father is the source of everything the Son does. But he's chosen to give a lot of his, in fact, give all of his authority to the Son for the purposes of the new covenant. So the Father remains the source of these things, but he intimately shares them with his Son. Now, notice here, what has Jesus listed that the Son can do? He's listed the two things that the Jews believed only God can do on the Sabbath. He can give life and judge the dead. Remember, we said that earlier. Well, Jesus here has said that the Father has given, has shared those things with the Son. The Son can give life and judge the dead. So all of this is linking back to the Sabbath controversy that occurred just before this. Verse 28, Jesus says, Do not be surprised at this, or you can translate that, Do not marvel at this. Why does Jesus say this? Well, presumably some in the crowd were shocked at what he's just said. The Jews believed there would be a Messiah, certainly, but they didn't believe that the Father would pass all of his divine authority to the Messiah in this sense. What Jesus here is saying about the level of authority that the Son has is entirely unprecedented. So certainly the Jewish leaders would have been shocked about what Jesus is claiming about the Son of Man and the Son of God. And then Jesus says, for the hour is coming when the son, when the dead will leave their graves at the sound of his voice. Here we have one of the clearest references to the resurrection of the dead in the entire New Testament. On the last day, people will literally be raised from the dead. They will leave their graves. Bodies will be transformed, as Paul goes on to make clear in the rest of the New Testament. Here, Jesus himself says, The hour is coming when the dead will leave their graves at the sound of his voice. Verse 29, those who did good will rise again to life, or you can translate that to the resurrection of life. 
Notice who, who's going to inherit eternal life here. It's those who did good. It's not those who believe that Jesus existed. It's not those who believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's those who did good. Even here in the Gospel of John, which is often considered to be uh, the gospel that people go to to prove that it's faith alone, Jesus here himself says, those who did good will be those who rise again to life. And he continues, those who did evil to condemnation. Or you can translate this, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Notice what the teaching here is. Even those who do evil will rise again on judgment day. So on judgment day, all people will rise again bodily. Some will be then sent to eternal life. Some will then uh, not be sent to eternal life. They'll be sent to hell. This is probably referencing Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, where there's a very similar vision that Daniel sees where there's this final separation of the good and the evil on Judgment Day. So, it's well worth reading Daniel chapter 12, because that tells us a lot about what the final resurrection is going to look at. Now, up to this point, Jesus himself has been sort of talking about the Son of God and the Son of Man in third person. But now, he's going to explicitly say, it's me. He's going to use the word I. Verse 30, I can do nothing by myself. Another translation here is, I can do nothing on my own authority. So Jesus, as the Son, can only do as he's directed by the Father. He goes on, I can only judge as I am told to judge. Another simple translation of this is, as I hear, I judge. So the Father tells the Son matters pertaining to judgment, and then the Son follows them. On judgment day, Jesus is going to judge people in accordance with the instructions of the Father. Jesus and the Father... The Son and the Father are always intimately linked. The Son is never out on his own. In fact, we often forget this as Christians. The whole point of Jesus was not to point towards himself per se, but it was actually to point people back to the Father. Jesus goes on, My judging is just. Another translation here is righteous. My judging is righteous. The decisions Jesus makes on Judgment Day will be perfectly righteous. He continues, Because my aim is not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is never an end in himself. He's been sent by the Father to reveal the will of the Father and to point people back to the Father. Jesus' whole point here in this whole discourse is that he's the perfectly obedient son, not a Sabbath violator and blasphemer as the Jewish leaders think he is. So this ends the first part of this incredibly deep, complex discourse. I'm sure you'll agree there's so much in this. It's well worth getting a commentary and really diving into John chapter 5 to see what riches can be extracted from it. We've really just scratched the surface today. Now, Jesus is not finished speaking. There's more to this deep discourse, and we'll look at that tomorrow as Jesus continues to defend his identity to the Jewish leaders. If we turn to the Catechism, there's a whole lot of places that reference what we've heard here today. So I just want to read out a few of these really key ones, and we'll include as many of these as we can in the show notes. And you can access the show notes just by expanding out the episode details or the episode information there, or on whatever you're listening to this podcast on. It's built into uh, the details of the episode. So paragraph 594 of the Catechism says... Jesus performed certain acts such as pardoning sins that manifested him to be the Savior God himself. Certain Jews who did not recognize God made man saw in him only a man who made himself God and judged him as a blasphemer. Paragraph 859, this is an interesting link. It's about how the church is apostolic. 
Jesus unites the apostles to the mission he received from the Father. As the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but receives everything from the Father who sent him, so those whom Jesus sends can do nothing apart from him, from whom they received both the mandate for their mission and the power to carry it out. This is an interesting teaching. Just as Jesus the Son can only do what the Father reveals, those who follow Jesus, particularly the church leaders, can only do can only get their authority from Jesus, and they must remain in union with him. Paragraph 679, this is about Judgment Day, to judge the living and the dead. Christ is Lord of eternal life. Full right to pass definitive judgment on the works and hearts of men belongs to him as a redeemer of the world. He acquired this right by his cross. The Father has given all judgment to the Son. Yet the Son did not come to judge, but to save and to give life, to, to give the life he has in himself. By rejecting grace in this life, one already judges oneself, receives according to one's works, and can even condemn himself for all eternity by rejecting the spirit of love. That's an incredibly profound paragraph that's worth spending a lot of time on. You probably heard there that it quoted directly from John chapter 5, all judgment has been given to the Son. Paragraph 1470, this is about the effects of the sacrament of confession. In this sacrament, the sinner, placing himself before the merciful judgment of God, anticipates in a certain way the judgment to which he will be subjected at the end of his earthly life. For it is now in this life that we are offered the choice between life and death, and it is only by the road of conversion that we can enter the kingdom from which one is excluded by grave sin. In converting to Christ through penance and faith, the sinner passes from death to life and does not come into judgment. So again, all these implications about eternal life and sin from John chapter 5 come right into the Catholic Church's teaching. Paragraph 635, this is in this mysterious section of the Catechism about how Christ descended into hell after his death. Christ went down into the depths of death so that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus, the author of life, by dying, destroyed him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Henceforth, the risen Christ holds the keys of death and Hades, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. So here, one of the key verses that helps us understand what Jesus might have done in those three days after his death is this one where it says one day all will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live in a sense that process was begun when Jesus descended to Sheol after his death last paragraph we'll read today paragraph 1038 this is about the last judgment the resurrection of all the dead of both the just and the unjust will precede the last judgment this will be the hour when all who are in the tombs will hear the Son of Man's voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So we'll leave it there for today. Once again, you can see all these catechism references in the show notes. I hope you learned something new and this has helped you see the value of doing a lit- uh, an exegesis of the literal sense. If you think others would benefit from hearing this teaching, please share the episode with them. Consider becoming a Patreon supporter. There's all sorts of bonus exegesis episodes there, as well as teachings through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So check out the Patreon page in the show notes if you're interested in that. Thanks, and hopefully you'll tune in again tomorrow. 